At the outset, nothing in this podcast should be interpreted as legal advice. Further, the views or opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent those of the university. Please email campbelllawreporter at email.campbell.edu for any media inquiries and third-party distributions. Welcome to the Campbell Law Reporter Podcast. This legal podcast strives to expand Campbell University's mission to lead with purpose by reporting with purpose. We hope to breathe new life into the dusty reporters on the shelves by reporting the content through captivating discussions. Our mission is to provide current and interesting reporting on legal topics affecting today's professionals. Listeners can expect to hear from various hosts throughout the year. Welcome back to another episode of the Campbell Law Reporter. My name is Seth Gellidge and I'm your host for today's episode. Today I have the privilege of speaking with two experts on the confusing world of sports law, Gary Shipman and Darius Boxley of Campbell's newest legal clinic, the Shipman and Wright Sports Law Clinic. Gary, whose generous donation made the clinic possible, is a Campbell Law graduate and the founding partner of Wilmington-based Shipman and Wright LLP, who boasts a more than 30-year legal career full of accomplishments, including launching Atlantic Sports Management and serving as a contract advisor and agent for the athletes and coaches in the world of college and professional sports. And Darius, a recent Campbell alumni who was recently appointed as the office manager of the clinic, Darius is clerk with the Equal Opportunity Commission, where his work concerned compliance with Title VII and AD laws. He's also held leadership roles in various student organizations and participated on the NFL negotiations team. Welcome to both of you. I hope I didn't cut off too much of your resumes. It's good to have you here. Thank you, sir. So, Gary, if you don't mind, could we just start with, obviously, there was a really big change in the world of sports law over the summer. Kind of, could you give us what the background on is, what the background on that is, and where that's kind of left the field? Well, certainly for more than 10 years, there has been an ongoing debate in this country as to whether or not NCAA athletes ought to be permitted to take advantage of their name, image, and likeness, or whether institutions ought to be able to uh, provide enhanced educational benefits, parentheses, full cost of attendance, and parentheses. Um, with the courts, up until the Supreme Court decided the Austin case in June of 2021 and prior to state legislatures beginning in California, Florida, and other states enacting laws, um, all of that was prohibited, meaning no college athlete in order to maintain their amateur status could be paid uh, for their name, image, and likeness. So when state legislators using uh, no model act, there is no or largely no consistency between the state acts and uh, each other. The Austin case was decided with the Supreme Court deciding that uh, again, that given that name image and likeness Um, that athletes were part of a billion-dollar enterprise uh, each year, that is, college athletics, that it would violate antitrust principles to prohibit institutions for providing enhanced educational benefits. That did not lead them to decide whether or not it was lawful or unlawful for universities for conferences to prohibit athletes from 
taking advantage of their name, image, and likeness. They only dealt with enhanced educational benefits, but I think the U.S. Supreme Court gave a really clear indication as to what they thought about that, given the monopolistic power that is the NCAA. So what that did is almost immediately open the floodgates for a couple of things to happen. First, for those states who did not have name, image, and likeness laws that were already passed, most of those states through executive order of the governors of those states, including North Carolina, uh, overnight made what was previous, uh, previously unlawful, made it lawful. Next, the NCAA on the heels of the Austin case issued what they call an interim rule, but it's no rule at all because the NCAA's interim rule says, we're not gonna have anything to do with this. Uh, you're to follow the law of your state. We're not going to police this. We're not going to enforce it. So with the combined effect of legislation, executive orders, and the lack of action by the NCAA overnight, name, image, and likeness and or the concept of amateurism in NCAA sports as we know it disappeared. Uh, as Darius knows, we've had many guests uh, in our sports law class that we have every Tuesday evening. And I've asked that same question to people from the NBA, from people from the NCAA, um, has the concept of amateurism as we've known it to be in college athletics, is it gone? And Darius can't affirm without exception. They've said yes. When you've asked them the follow-up question of, so where is it going? Who knows? Because they know what I know, that overnight, people who on June the 1st, could not have gotten within a mile of an NCAA athlete, now can pay them money, and they are. Um, the university administrations, the athletic administrations, were ill-prepared to deal with the reality of where they were overnight. Many of them had for a series of months because they were located in a state where legislation already existed, had begun to prepare, uh, hook themselves up with various platforms. Influencer is a platform where you might be able to match athletes up with name, image, and likeness opportunities and provide a reporting platform. But in terms of how do we deal with boosters in states, North Carolina is one, where it is not unlawful for boosters, Alabama, where it's not unlawful for boosters to be involved in name, image, and likeness opportunities for athletes overnight. It's just the wild, wild west that, um, as I said to our students, the great thing about you being involved in it is that you have no less or more experience in doing this than anybody else out there. Because it's all brand new. So, you know, get after it. Uh, you, you, you know, when you're starting out as a sports agent, 
Oh, sure. There's lots of people that have more experience than you. But we're in, we're in this new age of name, image, and likeness. There's nobody that's got, well, you know, they'll have maybe a year on you, but so what? Uh, you'll have a law degree. Um, so it's, uh, it's they're trying times out there. Um, more questions than answer, answers, certainly among the athletes. And that's what we hope the clinic will be able to do is to provide an outlet where we can answer some questions, provide some services for yeah. those who are in need of those. So kind of to that point, when you're working with these athletes in what is this new area, the Wild West, it's very gray. How does that kind of affect your advocacy for the people that are walking into the clinic or walking into your office? Well, that's two separate questions. Um, walking into our office or, you know, them contacting us, us contacting them as a sports agency versus the sports clinic. First, athlete, student athletes know what they know. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know that they need the assistance of the sports clinic and lawyers, those who are independent and balanced that will take care of them. They don't know that. Why? They're not being told that. They're certainly not being told that by the universities that you need independent representation from someone other than this university before you enter into an agreement to give someone a license to use your name, image, and likeness. They're not being told that. Next, those who are the marketing companies who are representing the premier athletes, which is 5% of the athletes that are out there, the other 95% are wandering around in the dark without a flashlight. They're having people hit them up by DM and said, you know, hey, you know, you want to dot, 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 dot. Sure. Without regard to whether it's compliant or not, without regard to what they're giving away for what period of time, is it exclusive? Is it non-exclusive? All they're looking at is what is the compensation that is tied to this relationship. And they're not looking at the complexities that are tied to what may sound like a pretty simple relationship, but it's not. And it could not only end up um, not being what you think it's going to be, it could end up being a grenade that blows up in your face because it's compromised your eligibility as an athlete. So is that behind the motivation? I'm wondering what kind of compelled you to get involved, start this clinic, make the donation? What are you trying to solve here? Well, I could spend 30 minutes talking about why I've done a lot of things that I've done in my legal career. I kind of explained this to the students the first night. Um, Rich Leonard certainly knows this to be true. Um, I like to leave footprints in as a lawyer, as a, you know, as a, I like to leave footprints. I like to help people if I feel I can. Um, 
the reason that I got involved in sports agency general generally is because I knew then what I knew know now, and that is relative to the degree of care and attention that I as a lawyer and we as a firm give to our clients. Professional athletes are generally underrepresented. And so wanting to ensure that if nothing else, given my competitive nature, that our, our law firm providing legal services as part of a sports agency to professional athletes, what we hope to do is to make the profession better, to compete with those at a top level. And even if we lost out and we have, I've been, You know, I've been the Ricky Bobby in many efforts. I've been the first loser, right? But in the process, we've made the process better. I've made the agents who ran up front and won better. I've educated the athletes. I've educated the athletes' family. Then as athletes like, for instance, Trevor Lawrence, number one draft pick, had a law firm that had never had a draft pick in their lives that he chose to represent them. Why? Because as I said for years, if you could have a lawyer, a practicing lawyer represent you as an agent versus anybody else and have the services that a practicing lawyer can provide you, Why would you choose anybody else? Why? Because we all get paid the same 3%. So do you want to pay 3% and get less? Or do you want to pay 3% and get more? And here's the more that we provide. And this is what I've been preaching to the lawyers in the sports law class. Is that compared to what? a typical agent, even those at a top level with the top sports agencies, compared to the level of service that they provide, they personally provide, versus what you can provide, there's no comparison. So that's the message, if you will, that we're trying to take to the street with athletes, college athletes that have NIL opportunities is if you have the opportunity to have, if you count Miss Dunn and Darius and the 14 students, 17 attorneys look at your stuff versus some guy, some dude who just wants to sign up and represent people in NIL and he's got a degree in undergraduate degree in marketing from Podunk U. And we're we're not going to get paid anything. We're going to do it for free. Why would you not take advantage of that? Now, there are going to be athletes that we hope when we talk to them, we can see, you know, hey, look, Yeah, you're a freshman, but on the horizon, given who you are and, you know, what you're going to do your freshman season, you're going to be big time. And you probably can have a 
real agent, real lawyer, because you have the ability to generate income, to pay a lawyer. We're going to be able to find those that fit in that category, get them directed, screen, if you will, other people that they have an opportunity or should talk to. So we're really there to be a service, but student athletes don't know they need us yet. So Darius, talk to Seth about what we're doing then from a PR perspective to try to get our name out there on the street. I've told them, Seth, that um, given how quickly this came about, I told the students in the clinic, told Darius, hey guys, we're a law firm. You need to pretend like we're a business. And I don't think we would just kind of sit back and wait for someone to find us. If we were out there as a law firm trying to generate clients, we'd have to market ourselves. So Darius, talk to Seth about what the plans are there and what we're going to do. Yeah, so I think the number one thing that we are doing is reaching out, networking, um, going to different colleges, looking, going to their uh, compliance offices, their their legal services, um, and reaching out and letting them know, hey, if you have students who come to you about NIL bills, um, send them our way, send them to experts who, who know what they're doing. Uh, and, you know, on top of that, uh, we also, you know, in today's age, social media is such a big thing. Um, so we started a social media campaign head, um, headed by some of our students uh, where we started a Facebook page, we started an Instagram, uh, and just trying to uh, brand ourselves so that students know that we exist, um, understand that they need us, uh, and, and using it as a tool to reach out possibly to uh, different college athletes. Um, and we also started some ads uh, headlined by Stephen Dinkle, who's uh, one of our students uh, on social media, where they're uh, quartered at different universities and different spots where the student athletes will be. So they'll see our names, um, see the Shipman and Wright Sports Ball Clinic and understand uh, what we do and what we're about. Uh, understand that between uh, Shipman, Mr. Shipman and uh, Miss Dunn, there's close to 50, 60 years of experience there uh, and understand that, you know, if you're going to do it, do it the right way, get it for free, which is, you know, can't beat that. Um, and then have, as Shipman said, 17 people uh, focus on a goal for you. Um, it's not just one person. It's not just someone who doesn't have a law degree. Um, someone who is really doing it all by the fly, the seat of their pants, not understanding uh, really what they're doing. Have experts, 17 experts, um, look over your contracts, look over uh, anything that comes across to that can um, help you. Yeah, it seems like a pretty good deal. I, I know y'all are a few months into this enterprise now. Could you tell me how much success have y'all seen with that model so far? Have y'all had clients coming in? Can you give me an idea of the work y'all been doing other than that? Well, I thought for weeks that it was either because of what I was wearing or uh, although, you know, when I walk in class, Mr. Boxley can confirm, you know, I do have some of our students that are a fan of 
sometimes what I wear and they comment on it. Uh, Love it. <laughs> uh, but um, if I was easily offended, I could get real offended by the lack of response that we've had until uh, I received early when we were developing this clinic, I had uh, uh, conversations with the director of university student legal services at NC State, who was just giddy about the idea, wow, this is great. I'm going to pass on your name to my colleagues at other university legal services across the southeastern United States. This is great. This is great. And boy, we just know that students will be knocking on our doors, asking questions, and we're going to send them to you. Well, um, I've been invited to speak to the National Legal Aid and Defender Association South uh, Eastern Regional Conference that's going to be held on November 5th in Raleigh. And we're going to take our students over there because like us, it's been kind of quiet. And if you, if you certainly would think that students that are in need of, of, of legal services, one of the first places they're going to start is the student legal services divisions of their universities. And they've been kind of quiet. There's a reason for that. It's back to the point. You only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. And so what we hope to do is take advantage of this opportunity. There are going to be 17 separate universities represented at this conference uh, from North Carolina, Ohio, Virginia, West Virginia. Uh, we hope to spread the message that, A, let's help educate the student athletes on your campus. We'll assist in that. We'll help you provide material to them. We want our logo to be on it so that everybody knows that this is this school called Campbell, but we're in Raleigh. No, no, we're not, the, you know, we're in Raleigh. We're a law school in Raleigh. Believe it or not, Campbell's got a law school in Raleigh. And many of these universities already know about our law school. So we've already got a great brand behind us, and we want to promote that brand through the student legal services offices that are, uh, going to be represented uh, at that meeting in Raleigh. Um, and, and, and so I, 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 I verily believe that unfortunately for these pioneers, this first group, that the next semester will have more activity than this one. Okay. We're the pioneers. You know, we're out there early you know, chopping the weeds down so that we, everybody else can drive through. Um, now, activity, yes. We have had inquiries. I've had inquiries from really all over the United States, principally from those in athletic departments, to say, wow, this is great. Uh, you're in North Carolina. Can you help me in South Carolina? Yeah. If you got any problems, because this is NIL stuff. This is not the practice of law. This is not sports agency. There's only a few states that have a restriction that if you as a student athlete want to take advantage of your name, image and likeness, you must 
be represented by a licensed agent or licensed attorney in that state, right? So we're certainly going to steer away from uh, anything that looks like it's unlawful, but in those states that don't mandate, North Carolina does not mandate that you be a licensed sports agent uh, or a licensed attorney to help people with NIL, uh, help student athletes with NIL opportunities. So uh, that's the message that we intend to take to some of these student legal services attorneys that we'll see uh, in November is let us help you um, uh, so that the level of activity will increase. Now, next, the other reason why that I think the activity is muted at this point is that those who have and want a relationship with student athletes also need to be educated about how do they do that. And they don't know how to do that. Right. They don't, they, they, they don't. The marketing companies have found the student athletes and have engaged in uh, contracts with 5% of the athletes. Um, but those who may have a mindset that aren't associated with a marketing company that, you know, hey, I'd love to provide NIL opportunities for women's sports at UNC. How do I do that? That's some of the other things that I think as a clinic that we're going to be doing is providing information through our social media about if you're a business and you want to get lined up with an athletic program, an athlete at a university, let us help show you how to do that. And maybe let us help match you with someone that may or may not be uh, within the existing clients that we represent in the sports clinic. Um, so again, all of this, because it's so new, it's all educational, largely at this point. Yeah, it, it seems hard to believe that there's a lack of people trying to take advantage of these opportunities since the summer. And I, it's hard to imagine that the lack of response that y'all are seeing is related to people just not engaging in this kind of behavior. Do you imagine that kind of bodes not so well that there might be students or companies kind of participating in activity that might lend themselves to some trouble down the road without kind of the education and legal advice that y'all are offering? This is a battle between the haves and the have-nots. Again, there's only 5% of the college student athletes out there that have sufficient name recognition that will lend value to someone's business. Does that make sense, what I just said? I mean, not all 60 people that are going to be standing on the sidelines on Saturday when UNC plays Miami, does anybody want to give money to because everybody knows who they are and therefore they'll buy my produce, right? No, there's only about five or six. The same thing in basketball, same thing in women's sports. You know, there's only a few stars. There can only be, you know, it's a team sport, but each team has a star. And everyone wants to align themselves with the stars, and they don't know what they want to do with those who aren't stars. So those that are stars do not lack the ability to find someone to help them, okay, because they're stars. You know, I got people just knocking on their doors, and they're locked down. 
already. Okay. They've already signed with a group to help them with name, image, and likeness stuff. They don't need us. The rest of those don't know how to take advantage of it. You know, how do we, okay, we're a bunch of, you know, we're, we're, we're on the, the women's soccer team. And there's nobody got a big NIL deal on our team. How do we take advantage of name, image, and likeness? Okay. Camps. Ooh. And they all then click and go, oh, yeah, my mama and daddy spent several Jaguars in my childhood with camps, you know, in travel. What? Oh, yeah. Same thing with field hockey, lacrosse, all of the non-rev sports, those teams can run their own camps. Now, the coaching staff may not like that, or the coaching staff may hook in with them and do camps together. And that is that that, that is something they're all used to. They all know how to do it because they've all been to those camps and they know that in their region, if you're University of Virginia women's soccer team, you know that there are eight, 10 potential opportunities around the state of Virginia every year. Whereas a team, you can go put on camps and mom and daddy pay 100, 200 bucks for a weekend for, you know, little Sally to come hang out with the UVA. And this is just an example, the UVA soccer team. Okay. They, they, that money is there. Um, but the athletic departments aren't necessarily creating these ideas. And that's another thing why I think what, that, that, that uh, the more we get out there and the more information we provide, we can help provide some creativity for the, especially the non-rev sports uh, as to how they can take advantage uh, of name, image, and likeness opportunities. Darius, weigh in on that, I guess, a little bit further. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, if you look at that 5% that Gary is talking about that's making money, I, I think it's one stars um, and then also maybe some Olympic athletes uh, like Suni Lee, who's who just won the Olympics in gymnastics, hasn't even stepped foot. Um, at Auburn's campus yet, and is making over a million dollars in NIL deals right now. Um, uh, people also sometimes teams uh, like Ole Miss's football team all got a gene a deal with a gene company. Um, my cousin is a wide receiver on that team, and he, he was telling me a little bit about it. But um, things of that nature, uh, yeah, there's only a certain amount of people who are going to make big money. Um, if you think about Oklahoma's quarterback, uh, Spencer Rattler, who's probably one of the highest paid um, NIL college athletes right now, he's not going to walk through our doors. He's had people, um, big time agencies knocking at his door since June, uh, making, you know, millions of dollars for, you know, just his name, image and likeness. Um, so those other those other 95% just need to understand that we exist um, and understand why they need us. Uh, I know at the beginning of NIL, we saw hundreds of college athletes trying to sign with uh, bar stool sports and things of that nature who they 
just, you know, jump the gun and, and seeing, you know, what's out there for them um, without actually doing their own research and understanding what signing deals with uh, a company like Barstool who has no experience in sports law, um, you know, what, what they might do for them versus what we can do all for free. Um, so I think it's a lot of that 95% needs to understand um, the value of having a lawyer and having representation from, you know, a bunch of people, experts in the field, like at our sports clinic. Um, and once they understand the value of that, I think our, our, our doorbell will be ringing daily. Um, but for right now, you know, it's, it's just about getting our name out there and them understanding that they need us. Um, and it's not something that they can just do by themselves. Yeah, Darius, I'm interested. You graduated basically right before this whole thing opened up. I'm interested yeah. with you kind of diving into this career. What's your pitch for why you're interested in it and why other kind of lawyers or legal professionals or law students even should get involved in this kind of work? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm interested in it because, uh, you know, one thing, I'm, a, I'm an African-American male and, and growing up in different inner cities, um, you know, I often saw a bunch of athletes who could have made it, you know, to the, to the pros or made it, you know, at least Europe in basketball or Canada in football or things of that nature, um, but went down the wrong path because they surround themselves with the wrong people. Um, so for me, getting into the clinic, I talked to Dean Leonard and he expressed to me, um, you know, Gary's expertise and, you know, how well respected he was. And I, I just wanted to uh, work with someone who's doing things the right way so that when it is my time to uh, go into the field, um, such a growing field, obviously, uh, you know, with NIL and um, it's only going to keep growing esports. Uh, you know, different things of that nature. Um, I just wanted to surround myself uh, with someone who is well-respected, um, someone who uh, knows what he's doing and can uh, lead me in the right direction, um, you know, and, and down the road, I can be, you know, a well-respected person in the, in the industry. Uh, my, you know, my career goal is to work in the NBA in some form or fashion, um, whether it's scouting or, you know, front office eventually. Um, but I understand like, you know, you have to take different paths to get there. Um, and law school was my path. And, and now that I'm done, I'm just trying to, uh, you know, navigate myself to work with athletes, um, especially, uh, help out African-American athletes in any way I can, um, to help them build generational wealth and, um, help them surround themselves with the right people. Mm -hmm. And do you see this decision as kind of, if that's been your goal for some amount of time, you see this decision as really opening up that opportunity to accomplish those kinds of things? Yeah. I mean, it, it gives a lot of kids, um, student athletes who, who might not make it the pros, um, an opportunity to build some wealth. Uh, you know, as I just start, talked about Spencer Rattler, um, going into the season, he's supposed to be a Heisman favorite. Uh, it was supposed to be the number one pick in the draft. Um, he's made over a couple million dollars in NIL deals and just lost his starting spot. And, you know, his NFL future is in the, in the air. Um, so for a kid like that, who, you know, who knows what will happen. Um, I believe in him and his talent. And I think he'll make it to NFL. 
uh, and be a starter. But, you know, for right now, he's lost millions of dollars as far as um, once he his spot and where he gets drafted. Um, so guys like him can build that generational wealth in college um, and not really have to worry about that uh, once he, you know, takes that next step. If, you know, things went awry and he doesn't make it, he still has um, a lot of money to fall back on. So I, I think it's a, you know, a great thing for athletes in college. Certainly. Let me ask you one last question, which is with all of this still kind of being up in the air and in flux, as you described earlier, Gary, is there a set of regulations or laws that you'd like to see implemented kind of in the near future, either state or federally? Well, yes. Um, first, there has already been circulated a uniform state act that I think ought to merit a lot of consideration by every state, given the impact on commerce that NIL legislation has, it is kind of silly that you have a big distinction state to state on the laws that creates lots of ambiguity. Uh, next, we do know that Congress has had this uh, under consideration now for a couple years, there's six or seven different versions of bills that are pending before Congress that have been introduced. Um, depending on what happens with the midterm elections, there will either be less of an appetite to do anything with that or more. Um, and because, you know, you know what's going on in D.C. right now, you know the big debates between the left and the right that is going on. Um, th those on the right, those that uh, believe that they will be in control of Congress after the midterms have no appetite for NIL, nor does do those in control of the North Carolina state legislature. There, there have been legislation introduced and there is no appetite on those in control to take it up, hence the fact we have an executive order. Next, we hope, our class hopes, that the NCAA and their board in November or before the end of the year undertakes action on something that looks different than an interim rule uh, to provide some guidance, some structure, some semblance of the remainder of amateurism as we used to know it to be in college athletics. I hope that we get some direction from the NCAA. I hope they're not satisfied with the status quo. So that's, you know, that's what we hope for for the near future. Yeah, for sure. Darius, how do people listening to this who want to get involved in this, who need y'all's help, how do they contact you? Yeah, they can um, reach out to uh, our clinic. Uh, we're at Sports Law at campbell.edu via email um, and I'll send you all the information. You can reach out to me directly at their, or D, D Boxley at campbell.edu um, and via social media, you can look out for us. Um, and our name on there is uh, Shipman and Wright Sports Law Clinic via Instagram and Facebook. And we will be working on a Twitter soon as well. So you can reach out on all those platforms. Uh, best way is to just to email me and I'll send them um, intake forms and things of that nature. 
Awesome. Well, guys, I really appreciate y'all coming on here. Uh, sounds like a really Thank interesting you. project. Looking forward to keeping up with it. And uh, hope you all have a great day. This is the Campbell Law Reporter. Thank you for listening to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. We look forward to you joining us every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. for a new episode which can be accessed through your preferred podcasting listening platform. This is the Campbell Law Reporter.